I get the privilege to continue week five of a six-week teaching series called It's Time to Live Again. And we've been talking about through studying the letter to the Colossian church that it's time for us not to stick our heads in the sand as followers of Jesus, but to live our faith out, to allow people to be impacted during this critical time in human history. And this week, we're going to address uh, something I'm pretty passionate about. And can I just confess something? I'm going to tell you right off the bat. It get, I get a little intense in this one. I go, you know, I get a little worked up and uh, I'm enjoying it because I'm very passionate about it. So I hope that comes across well to you because the heart of this morning's message is that I believe it's time to not just live again, but to join God's family. Some of you, you've known about Jesus. You might even consider yourself a follower of Jesus and a Christian, but you have not become a part of the greater family of God. There are so many isolated Christians that being a part of a local church means a watching a, a, a three-minute clip of a celebrity pastor somewhere in the world. And while those things are great, I want to encourage you that the family of God, the community of God that we get to learn about this morning, I believe is the most beautiful, wonderful, awe-inspiring, diverse community of human beings in the world. And as we get into the passage of talking about the family unit within the Roman Empire, and particularly the families within the, the uh, Colossian church in the city of Colossae, if you've been with us, uh, Colossae is one of three towns in the Lycus River Valley where Epaphras took the gospel after coming to Christ in the town of uh, Ephesus. And the smallest of those towns is Colossae, and he uh, come, has written a letter while in a prison cell to encourage them in their faith. So I'm going to invite you to turn. We're going to pick up where we left off, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. Colossians 3, verse 11. It's going to be kind of our theme verse uh, this morning. As you're turning to Colossians 3, 11, or powering one on and looking at the one in the book rack, I want to tell you, uh, talking about the family, the Mercy Road family is getting uh, one family larger next weekend. Uh, he won't officially start until January 1st, but you'll get to hear from him next weekend. I'm super excited to announce that our operations pastor who went and launched the Northeast location, we've been down a pastor here at this location. Uh, we are replacing with a different role. It's gonna be a pastor of teaching and community. And I'm really excited to announce that Pastor Rashad Cunningham will be joining the Mercy Road team and being on staff here at the Carmel location. He will, apparently he's on TV recently, but you guys know, Rashad came here a few weeks ago, a few weeks back, amazing communicator, love him, and he just does so much ministry in the community, and so he wants to come and implement some of the things he's done, bringing people of diverse backgrounds together rather than apart in the local community outside the walls of a church building, and we're going to be implementing some of that here in the city of Carmel in Hamilton County in North Indianapolis. He's an amazing communicator. I'm so pumped to have him officially start on January 1st, but he will be preaching here next weekend. Yeah, come on. So don't miss it. He's going to finish the teaching series. And as he comes here, uh, he will be on staff at Carmel, but he will occasionally be rotating through all the family of churches to preach at those locations because he has such a gift. And I'm super uh, pumped about that. I will tell you next week when he comes, we want to put on like, our best face, you know, like when the guest first comes over to house, your house. So like if he says something funny and it's like mildly funny, laugh hysterically, 
Like, it's the funniest thing you've ever heard, you know what I'm saying? Uh, let's give them a standing ovation uh, next weekend. Here we go. Are you ready to study God's Word together? Yes. So we're not just talking about the, the local family or even the Mercy Road family, but the greater church family. And so our theme for this morning starts in verse 11. And verse 11, it says, here there is no Jew or Gentile. Gentile or Jew. The two things that divided them most in their culture. From a Christian perspective, he says there is neither Jew, those who aren't of Jewish descent, excuse me, uh, either Gentile or Jew, those who aren't of Jewish descent and those who are. There's neither Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There is neither Democrat nor Republican. There is neither wealthy nor the poor. There is neither Ohio State Buckeye fan or Michigan Wolverine fan. So any Buckeye fans out there? Well, yeah, okay. We're going to pray for you Wolverine fans out there. Okay, one person, that's two. They're a little shy, this, but when we get to heaven, there will be neither uh, one fan or another fan. We all are going to love Jesus first and foremost. Amen? Yes. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, you've taken this too far. That sounds like heresy. <laughs> no Buckeye's going to be in my house. I want to tell you. The beauty of this passage is the diverse nature of the local church, that there is neither slave nor free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, we're going to get in a moment into the most controversial section of the letters of the Colossian church, and we're going to begin with the end. I'm going to pray, I'm going to set this up, and we're going to look at verse 18 on, and we're going to learn about the Christian family within the city of Colossae. And the way it's to look in, in contrast to the way the Roman family looked. It, it's so controversial. My wife actually is like, she's sitting at this service. Uh, I didn't ask her permission to say this, but like, uh, she told me that last night, she's like, Josh, you sure you want to do this? <laughs> Why don't we just skip over those verses? We could just kind of pretend like they don't exist, like you might see other people do. I was like, no, we have always said there's nothing in scripture that we can't discuss. And so we're going to look at those hard verses and I believe you're going to get a beautiful picture. At least you're going to love it by the end of this. You're going to get a beautiful picture of the, the local family, the immediate family unit, and the greater family of God. God's diverse family upends the structure of Roman society, and it still does today. If you're out there and you have felt alone, you have felt lost, you, you have felt like no one cares when the, the church is done right, now, we're human like every other church, but when the church is done right, it is the most beautiful, uh, awe-inspiring community of human beings on the earth, and everybody wants to be a part of it. And my goal today is I want to encourage and challenge you, if you haven't already, to receive Christ, to join God's revolutionary family, to not just know about God, but to participate in the life of the local church by using the platform of the immediate family unit to represent the larger family of God. That's my hope. Will you pray with me? God, we all came in here with different stuff. Some of us going through a really hard week. Some of us have great weeks. Some of us have walked in here with differing opinions from one another, different socioeconomic backgrounds, multicultural backgrounds. It's who we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would unite us as followers of you during this season. 
I acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room or with those who are attending online. Whatever I have to say that's not of you, God, take it away. What you have to share through us through Scripture, God, I pray it would speak to our souls and we would change and become better because of it. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. I got something I have never, I don't think, shared at Mercy Road Church. I am a tennis player. Does anybody know that? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. See, I never thought, any tennis players out there, we have any? Two, pe- two people. That's great. That's one less than the last service. Uh, I grew up playing tennis, started when I was about nine years old. I don't talk about it much because I thought basketball and other things were cooler, but it was actually my best sport. And I stopped playing tennis for a really long time, and just recently, I picked the racket back up, partially because, as you guys knew, I I had some health issues. And if you missed, I I shared a couple of weeks ago, praise God, nothing serious. All the the checks came out super positive, and, you know, I have some one thing I'm going to have to look at maybe once a year, but nothing serious. So just praise God for that. But I've started, yeah, I can celebrate that, and I share that. Just as a celebration, because, you know, for some of you, you're like me, I realize, oh, I got to get healthier in what I'm eating. Some of you probably need to do that. And then I was like, I need to start exercising more. And so I got into tennis again, because it's such good exercise for your body. And I forgot how much I loved it. Anyway, when I was in high school, I played mainly singles. My freshman year, I played doubles. Now, I love singles. It's amazing. You have complete control. You can do whatever you want. I would run around and I get to use my wheels and that kind of stuff. But for the tennis players, please agree with me on this. We can all agree on this. Uh, we hate doubles, don't we? <laughs> D- doubles, doubles is like the worst because you got to like work with another human being. That, who wants to do that? Like I had a great partner when I was a freshman in high school, but man, I just did not enjoy playing with somebody else because I had to work with another living, breathing human being. When you're part of a team, it means you can't just be self-focused. See, uh, in the family of God that we're going to get to and discuss, part of the concept and idea is if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're joining his team. And to be a part of that team is that you actually put God first, others second, and yourself third. Being a part of a team can be hard sometimes. We have to bear with one another, forgive one another as we'll look at to love one another, show kindness and compassion, even when we disagree. See, I want to challenge you this morning through three simple points that God's family is for you. You may have grown up and felt like you're not one of those good Christians. You would never be accepted or received. I want to tell you God's family is for you, but it, I'm going to challenge you to do these three things if you're a part of God's family. And can I just get, can we get real for a second? Yeah. There's a potential. Thank you, Jenny. There's a potential that the verses we look at could upset you a little bit. That is not my heart. That is not our goal. We're studying God's word together. In fact, some of you, as you try and work with other people and other believers may get frustrated. Can I confess something? If we're being real, I had a bit of a temper when it came to playing tennis. It's a true story. When I did play doubles, I got frustrated one time. I was at the net. I threw the racket down. It bounced in the air, which I thought was pretty impressive. And then I booted that thing right at the net. It went soaring over at the net. There was a guy five feet across the net and it was going right at his face. He literally, don't judge me. You guys are looking at me like you're, you're better than me. He dove on the ground and averted like scars for life. Praise God. 
But for some reason, I would get frustrated sometimes. In fact, if I'm being really honest, I once uh, played golf in that same era when I was a young high school student, and I was on the green, and can I, I got a putter stuck in a tree. <laughs> like, do the math on that. Like, I don't even know how that works still, but I did it. It was very impressive. And so, for some of you this morning, that if you get frustrated, you may feel like as we get into this passage and you're working with other people in community that you more, more often feel like throwing your clubs than you do like getting along with one another. And especially for those of us who are young in the faith, it can be hard to mature and grow up as a Christian. I learned this uh, very clearly because I thought I had got out scot-free with my first two kids, but then my son Jet, who uh, just turned five in April, he has some of dad's own problems. I took him out to teach him tennis and immediately he got up frustrated, told me he knew how to do it and then threw his racket on the ground and laid down and cried and pouted. So I thought, well, maybe golf is his thing. Well, I took him out to golf, like this is about a year ago. And just so you think I'm not making this stuff up, this is actual footage of me teaching my son Jet to play golf. to me as God has been maturing me over the years of my faith and I've got a long way to go where sometimes hearing from other people and we're going, I just want to throw it in. Don't you just want to throw that club and just turn away and give up on other human beings? That's what most of us do and we're going to get real about it. Let's study God's word together. The first point I want to make is that God's family is for you if, number one, you make Jesus Lord of your family. If you make Jesus Lord of your immediate family. Now if you feel like you don't have much family, this morning is for you. And I'll explain that here in a bit. But let's look at the passage. We're going to begin with the end in mind by studying the end of this section of Scripture first, the most controversial section. I don't want to avoid it. I want to give it plenty of time. It's going to begin in verse 18, but first let me set this up. When we say Jesus is Lord of your family, the most important part is that Jesus is Lord, not a human being. It's very clear in this passage that the Jesus is the Lord of the family unit. In the Roman society, they considered the family unit the building block of society, much like we do today. The only difference was the Roman understanding of family was very different than what Paul teaches in these few verses. I believe these few verses are some of the most misunderstood, mistaught verses, at least in the letter to the Colossian church, if not most of the New Testament. The Roman understanding of family was referred to as Roman paterfamilias, and it meant a uh, paternal pater means the father or the dad, the, the husband, had complete control and say when it came to the family. They had complete authority over their wife, 100%. The children, they literally owned the children. Even when they became old enough, they were still living on the estate, the the, the dad owned them as if they were property. It's even going to talk about this word doulos, which means slaves or servants. And while it's not the same as the horrible history of American slavery, it's still horrible. And what Paul writes here in this passage is going to flip the script on the understanding of family within the Roman culture. 
Because in the Roman culture, men were in complete control, but Paul is communicating how to live as a family in a society that was very rigid. He's essentially teaching them the vocation of their roles so that they may best live on mission in the community of Colossae in the Lycus River Valley. And so as we read these verses, we must understand the culture in which it was written and what it was speaking to and how counterculture and groundbreaking this was for Paul to even say. So rather than skipping over it, we're going to begin with these verses. Look at verse 18 with me. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now I know uh, we read those verses, so you can see why I prefaced this the way that I did. And as we get into this, I want to give you the groundbreaking nature of this statement. But notice that it says, as is fitting to the Lord, the idea was that each individual person in the, the household was making Jesus Lord, and that's why we did these things. Verse 19, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That might not seem countercultural to you, but in the pattern familia, that was groundbreaking. Love your wives, don't be harsh to them. That's wimp talk. You're in complete control, do whatever you want. And Paul tells them, no, love your wife. And in fact, don't be harsh with your wife. Verse 20, children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And all God's family said, amen. Uh, but we're gonna talk about what that means. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I don't believe in this passage that Paul is approving of slavery or at least indentured servitude, whatever this looks like. At that time, you would sell yourself into slavery, at least within the Jewish customs, for up to seven years, and then would be set free. I'm sure there were people taking advantage of that and doing horrible things, and no human being should ever own another human being. We all agree on that, and Paul is not saying that someone should. In fact, you'll notice by the end of this, he's actually encouraging them to free Philemon, who had been a, excuse me, uh, Onesimus, who had been a slave to Philemon, who was a leader in the church in Colossae. And next week, it may get mentioned when Pastor Rashad is here, that he sends Onesimus with this letter to a, an additional letter, the letter to Philemon, encouraging him to be set free. It was groundbreaking. It was revolutionary. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord again. Reverence for the Lord, working for the Lord, please the Lord, fitting to the Lord. Verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So those four, those four different ways that he breaks down, the different vocations represented there. The first one, wives. And I use the term vocations because not all women would be wives, right? There was a choice to enter, for us today, a choice to enter into relationship. And the same for, for men uh, that... Again, choice to enter into relationship. It's not just talking to men, but specifically to husbands, that vocation. And I think it's interesting that Paul chooses to mention the wives first, which is kind of encouraging when he's talking about the local family unit. First, he shows their importance in the household. I don't believe the significance of this should be uh, lessened or exaggerated. During a time and place where males were considered superior in every way, Paul is mentioning the wife first and her importance in the family. 
Unfortunately, this passage has often been used to pretty badly subjugate and lord over people. Jesus is the Lord of the household. The, the act of submission here is one of giving up control because you trust that your spouse is going to honor Christ first. And we'll talk about when it says the word love, what that means and the way that men lead, spiritually speaking. So it's groundbreaking for that culture and what they were living out at that time. As strongly as I can say this, this passage is not about subjugation or about willfully creating a, 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 an authoritarian household where someone owns another person. That was the Roman paterfamilia understanding of family and it contradicted what Paul is teaching here to the church in Colossae. The reason that a, a wife would submit or a husband would love and not be harsh is because of the verse 17, which preceded the section, which says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving face to God the Father through him. Subjugation and the lowering of the role of women has no place in a community of faith that is doing things in the name of Jesus. Because think about how Jesus did things. He was constantly elevating the position of women. He went to talk to the woman at the well when no one else would have done that. She was beneath him. He elevates the role of Mary Magdalene, this former prostitute that had all kinds of sinful past that he had brought out and freed from that and then became a leader in that church. That there was this empowerment of women that was countercultural to the way that Romans lived. I think it's very significant also that it says wives are to submit, but children and slaves in this passage are to obey. In particular, submit uh, denotes that you have a choice. Right? Again, this is not subjugation. They have a choice of whether to enter willfully into that relationship and to move away from authoritarian style of leadership, but you choose to submit because you are going to trust your husband. Now, some of you may say, well, uh, duh, of course women should have the choice, and of course women should um, you know, be empowered but you have to understand that in this culture, women were literally property. I mean, more than about any society in human history, they were property. And so Paul's writing is incredibly countercultural. It was radical and subversive in their culture. So first wives, but now husbands. So it says that a wife uh, out of choice submits to her husband, and the husband then is said in the, the verse about husbands in verse 19, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Like I said, that might be the most countercultural part. The word love there, the tense is agapato, coming from agape, unconditional love. And what it means here is that you, you literally, it's a self-sacrificing understanding of love. The way that Jesus set the example for us, agapato or self-sacrificing love was that you surrendered yourself and wanted to actually sacrifice for the other person. So that there's this mutual respect where the wife is going to choose to submit and the, and the husband is going to choose to love and to self-sacrifice for that person all while Jesus is Lord, not a human being. Man, it's a beautiful picture of what family could actually be like. And, and it was radical for the time period in the paterfamilial way they understood it. But it wasn't just for the husbands and wives, the children. It said that children should obey their parents. 
And I said, I mean, there's definitely, I want to give a big amen to that from all the parents in the room. Amen? But that obey, even that, there was a choice involved there. In fact, children were literally property of the dad at that time. And for, for him to include them in verse 20 and 21, look what verse 21 says. It says, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. They're, of course, they're called to obey, but as parents, if, if we are badgering our children, we are destroying one of the core nature of, of their humanness. That we should be encouraging the love and kindness of Christ in their lives. And it's this tension between, uh, you know, discipline and compassion that we have to have for our children. Again, groundbreaking for the paterfamilia culture. The children didn't have a choice to obey. You just do it. And you better do it or something bad's going to happen. Now, on the other side of that, man, as a kid growing up, I'm really glad. Anybody glad that their parents actually disciplined them? <laughs> that there was actually an expectation of obedience? You know, one of the interesting things I find as a parent, I knew that sometimes it was going to be hard to not get frustrated and not badger them. But the other side of that equation is to not just give up and let them do whatever they want. You know, it, as a parent, it's so much easier, and my wife would be the first to tell you about me as a parent, it's a lot easier just to go, hey, take that Nintendo Switch or the iPad and go, you know, like, tune out for the next four hours playing video games so that I don't have to deal with all the craziness. Any parents been there? Two, the three, the four of us, oh, great, great. I'm telling you, one of the things we have to do as parents is enter in and actually not be so lazy as to discipline, not discipline our children. That tension that we all have to ride. And so he's telling them, lead your household in a way where you, children are actually obeying, but you're not doing it by just destroying them and being completely uh, discouraging to their lives. It's part of the tension of following Jesus in the household. Now, I want to give you a caveat. If you come from a broken home where there has been abuse or anything of that nature, what Paul is not doing is say, just keep your mouth shut and deal with it. He's not telling you in any form of abuse that that's okay. He's saying in a God-honoring family where you're desiring to put Jesus as Lord, you have to be willing to uh, raise our children that way and children to trust and obey if our parents are leading in a godly way. And then finally, slaves and servants. Again, this is not American slavery. And he's uh, certainly not saying owning a human being is okay, but culturally, that was very rampant within the Roman Empire. And what he's telling them, again, is extremely groundbreaking when he essentially tells slaves that are treated as autonomous individuals with a will to follow God as well, that literally he's telling them they're a part of the family of God. You're part of the family unit. At that day, he's essentially saying that, that the slaves and the servants share in the inheritance of the family. That would never happen in their culture. And he's sending Onesimus with this letter to even encourage Philemon to set uh, Onesimus free and to get rid of slavery altogether. It's incredible what he does in these few short sentences and how often we have misread this. And I find it interesting. He, said, he gets four times he mentions slaves and servants. Why give so much space to a marginalized group? 
because he knew that a large portion of the church in Colossae and the churches in the Lycus River Valley were actually servants and slaves. There were so many of them. And he's saying, you're a part of the family, guys. It was groundbreaking. He was setting the example of how to be a good Christian within your family. He's not advocating for slavery. He's usurping the power of it in this passage and contradicting the way that the Roman family operated. So the family unit, the local family unit, your family unit could be a light in the dark world that you could live on mission together, living out those vocations. And then it represents the broader family of God that I want to apply this to now. And I'll I'll read this at the very end because Jesus, when he sees his mother and his brother, he says to them, who are my mother and my brothers? He points to the disciples. Those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brothers and my sisters that he has redefined what the family unit even is, that the family of God is the most powerful community on earth. But as you can imagine, if we're going to work as a team, I don't like doubles, but working on any team is difficult and hard. And so in the next two very short little pieces here, I want to show the verses that preceded this, beginning in verse 12, of how to live within that, that family unit. And verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. By the way, you remember some verses earlier in the letter to the Colossian church? He said that we often clothe ourselves with like greed and malice and anger. Remind you of anything in our culture today? Just get on social media. If we, I told you we're being real this morning, we're a couple weeks away from a very contentious election. And we all know that in a couple weeks from now, that uh, a large portion of the United States, I mean, if we could all agree on this, are going to be very disappointed. We don't know which portion, but a large portion is going to be very disappointed and discouraged and think the world is coming to an end. And there are going to be probably a lot of fear about what that might result, the result of that might be. Look, as Christians, we, we have the unique opportunity these next few weeks to exemplify the family of God coming together. That point number two, that we bear with each other. Look what it says here in these verses, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with co- compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Not like anger and animosity and those other things. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Look, I don't know if it's speaking to you or not, but it spoke to me because I have strong views too. And when we get done with all this stuff, like we're gonna have some people that voted differently than us. We're gonna have people who believe different things than us. We're gonna have people who uh, orient their life different than us. But if we're gonna be in the family of God, we gotta major on the major and minor on the minors and agree to disagree on these less significant things, theologically speaking, that we're going to have to bear with one another, forgive one another as Christ forgave us. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Then when Christians live this out, it's revolutionary in our culture that people notice rather than being known for just what we're against, people could be known for what we are for. The Christian community could be seen as this compassionate, loving, truth-filled thing that transforms lives in a godly way. It's the most beautiful community on the earth. 
this diverse group of people, different perspectives, all coming together saying, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He is the Lord of our individual household. He is the Lord of our churches. No political figure will separate us. No political ideology will separate us. And I know, not just politics, the other divisive things within our culture today, we will find unity in Christ. We will bear and forgive one another. Can I confess something to you again? So a number of years ago, before we moved here to plant the church, I was uh, working at a large church in Southern California for seven years. Majority of that, I led a young adult ministry. Uh, it was an amazing thing. The worship leader and I partnered together to start this thing, and it grew to one of the largest young adult ministries in Southern California. And after several years, uh, that worship leader, who was a friend of mine, began to get disgruntled with some other things going on in the church that didn't necessarily have to do with the ministry we were leading. But it began to cause problems and division for me and for a few others in the group. And so there was this moment in time where we had a really hard conversation and he chose to resign from the church. It was devastating to me. And a few of his close friends, uh, I felt like really judged me and, and didn't hear my side of it. You ever had that happen to you? And then I realized over time, you know, I, I, rather than just being angry about that, I began to go, you know what? It's a human relationship. I'm sure I shared in some of the problems too. I began to look at myself and go, well, what is this I can repent of in my own life? And you know what happened? Like that person also began to do the same thing in his life. And, and, and we are, came back together and we are still friends to this day. He's led worship at some great churches around the country. And we've seen run into each other multiple times back in California. And we've laughed about some of those very things that used to anger us so much. And we see now God's hand over all of it. And, and his wife reached out to us when we lost a child. And then she's prayed and my wife have prayed together. And it's just like God brings people back together. It's what the family of God is meant to look like that we forgive one another, we bear with one another, we're there for one another. Even when we have disagreements, we can turn to one another with compassion and gentleness as the passage describes. By the way, that list of uh, attributes of kindness and compassion look very similar to what in another section in the New Testament, Paul writes to the church and, and encourages the fruit of the Spirit. There's only one fruit of the Spirit, not many fruits. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are all the one fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, you will see all of those. You don't have to work on those to improve them. You need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when it says you need patience and kindness and those things in this passage, what it's referring to is you need more God in your life working through you. And when you have more of God working in your life, working through you, you will create more compassion with other believers in the family of God. I told you I was going to get intense and preach a little bit. And I just, man, this has spoke to me. Do you know what Romans chapter two says, what will lead to repentance? Because a lot of people worry about preaching truth so that they'll lead to repentance. What leads to repentance? Kindness. The kindness of Jesus, it says, is what leads to repentance, that when those of you who have been far from God and want nothing to do with his family, when you experience the loving kindness of Jesus Christ in your life, you want to be a part of that. It's revolutionary. It's life-changing. And we have to begin to think about the, the beautiful church and the picture it's meant to be lived out. It's represented in the individual family unit, but it's a greater family of God that I wanted to discuss. Finally, when you do that, when you forgive one another and bear with each other, you will lead to peace. Number three, you will let peace rule. You will let peace rule. Look where verses 15 to 17 go. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
I know we got issues today. They had issues in the church in Colossae, big ones. Christians weren't even that accepted. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. When we are behaving as mature Christians, you can see the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and lives. Since as members of one body, by the way, we say it all the time, there's no Mercy Road section of heaven. When we get there, it's a greater big C church, family of God, and that this, since as members of one body, we are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in word or do, deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we close out our time, I, I want to focus on this as give thanks to God the Father through him. As we talked about the greater family of God, if you don't have a good conception about the, your heavenly father, the father figure, I want to tell you he is the greatest Lord, the greatest uh, operator of the household you have ever seen. That the good father that we serve in heaven loves us and is compassionate with us. And when Jesus redefines with the family unit, look at verse 49, verse 49 of Matthew chapter 12. In verse 49, it says, pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. To be a part of the family of God means you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus, that our heavenly father becomes the good father and leader of your life and of your household. It becomes Lord in every way. And the type of father that you have welcomes you to his family with open arms. And if you have felt like you don't understand how far from him I've been, the things that I've done in my past, the embarrassing, shameful experiences I've had, the things I've thought in my mind, the things that I did, the conversation I had on the way over here, the things I've been doing online as I'm attending right now, I want to tell you, you don't understand the compassion and love that our heavenly father has for his family, for his creation. We bear with each other and forgive one another. Why? because he first forgave us. It says in Luke chapter 15 that the prodigal son who had taken all of his inheritance, everything that he'd been trusted with, he went and squandered it on prostitutes and all kinds of horrible, sinful things. And instead, when he comes home, he, rather than seeing the shame and the guilt, and he says he's willing to eat the pig slop because he's starving to death, his, his father, it says, runs to him with arms open wide. And as he ran, it would have made his robe go up in the wind. It would have been indignant for a father to run like that, particularly within the pattern familia. And he does it anyway. And when he gets there, he wraps his arms around him. He gives him a kiss. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back. He says, get the fattened calf. We're having a party tonight because my son was once lost and now he's found. <laughs> and, and, and some of us have been going through 2020 without the family of God without a good heavenly father that welcomes us home and we're afraid of him. We think he's gonna judge us and that Christians are gonna judge us. Look, humans may judge you, but the, the family of God welcomes you. Amen. He wants you to be a part of the family. And it's gonna come with transformation and life change as the truth of God seeps into your life, absolutely. But he welcomes you with love, compassion, and kindness. And that would be my heart for you today. If you've known about God your whole life, but you have never joined his family, don't wait another minute, another second. Do it today. Surrender to his lordship, to your good heavenly father. Pray this with me as I pray this out loud. God, I need you. On this day, October 18th, 2020, 
I do the beautiful act of joining your forever family. I, I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. I believe and receive your forgiveness and grace. And I join with you in what you're doing in the world. And then pray this. And I surrender everything in my life to you, Lord Jesus. Use me. I want to be a part of the family. Thank you, God. We love you and we praise you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.